Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name. And we're still here. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to Theater and College Hoops. I'm Subi. Alongside me is Taylor Dammel. We're brought to you by Dash Radio and the Barnburner Podcast Network. Go subscribe on whichever device you use. I actually heard John Diebler, former sharpshooter at Ohio State, probably or statistically a better basketball player in high school than LeBron James. He's subscribed, so you should as well. I'm not kidding. A lot of people say John Diebler, best Ohio State. Uh, high school basketball player, but he's percent as well. Check out the website at thebarnburner.com. That's the dash barnburner.com. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at CBB theater. You should also follow me at Subi two, three, two to find out where the feet is and Taylor at Taylor Damel. We're sponsored by blue note, artfully crafted, small batch bourbon distilled in Memphis and honoring the Memphis blues. Be noteworthy Memphis. Sin City. It's funny, actually, I was listening to Colder Weather today, so Ramblin' Man is in my head for sure. I actually was going to question you on your John Diebler, like how much of a sharpshooter John Diebler actually was, and he shot over 50% from three his senior year, 227 attempts. Holy shit. I didn't even... I knew he was good, but I didn't realize he was like 
fifty, rounded up to fifty-one percent from three his senior year for Ohio State. Anyway, he's like fat now, and somehow John Diebler is like only a year older than us, which I feel like he's so much older. Does that mean that we're old? Is what is maybe the question? I feel like it's been the running theme thus far this season. I mean, last episode we talked about how the shark is now thirty. By the way, shark's not here. He's probably. Uh, getting his his 30 rocks off right now. That might be a little TMI, but that's most likely what he's doing. You're 30. Everyone on this program is old. Back hurts. Except for yeah. you. You're young. You're young. You're I'm young. approaching it, man. But yeah, yeah, I think we are. I think we are old, but I didn't know. Why isn't, why isn't John Diebler spoken about when you talk about sharpshooters? I mean, I feel like even Andy Routens gets more love than fucking John Diebler. Do you know how tall John Diebler is? 6'8". Six, he's 6'6". Six, six. Yeah, he's he's tall, though. Like, he's, not, he's yeah. not a diminutive little white guy. Like, maybe he would be potentially thought of you know, right. by, by others. I'm, I don't know. Maybe that was just me. But, yeah, maybe the sign of our maturity is as a whole is the fact that I'm in Vegas right now. And doing this podcast right now because I could be playing craps. I could be at the sports book still where I was before this doing what we would like to call research, which we'll get to here later. I, I could be in a number of places, but right now I'm looking out towards uh, Henderson at the Westgate, the 10th floor of the Westgate East Tower here in Las Vegas, Nevada. Well, why don't you tell the theater goers what you're doing in Vegas? Just road tripping through. Uh, I mean, really nothing. You had to pick up your dad's Corvette. I mean, there's a story here. Okay, I was going to go with that. I had to pick up a car in Boise. All right. I didn't want to go with like some extreme details. But yes, so I had to pick up the the parental units play thing, play car in Boise, Idaho last night with Mallory. Mallory, actually, let me give a, a preliminary family hug. To Mallory Dammel, my sister, who has gone through school for the last, I don't know, 45, 50 years. And she got hired yesterday in her field after finally getting done with all of her schooling and, and everything. So shout out, preliminary hug, first hug of the day, five minutes into the program to Mallory Dammel. But hung out with your boy, Nick, because I do know that's your boy, Mallory's boyfriend, in Boise last night. And, uh, yeah, road tripping through. Nice little 10-hour drive through the middle of nowhere, Nevada, to get here. And I figured, why not stop in Vegas for a night on my way down to Phoenix? So you head back tomorrow? Yes, I'll be back at, like, noon tomorrow. Uh, Yeah, again, not not to harp on the maturity thing, but the first thing I did when I got here was I had to put uh, a couple addendums together for a couple of real estate deals that I'm doing. Um, I like washed my hands, took my shoes off, got comfortable. In previous years, I would have just like tossed my shit in the room and just been like down to the craps tables right away. Did grab a couple Bud Lights coming up the stairs though. Let's not kid ourselves of where our priorities are at here. But uh, you're still at that yeah. perfect age. You're still at the perfect yeah. age where responsibility takes over. But at the same right. time, you're gonna grab a couple beers. Well, yeah. I mean, it's just... Uh, and you're in Vegas. Well, I mean, why, why, why not? We'll call it real estate lubricant for this evening. So, 
But yeah, committed. I did get two shout outs in the lobby of the Westgate for my Packers hat. So I don't know if that's worth anything, but it made me feel good right away. A good welcome to Vegas. Also, it's a full moon in Vegas. So who knows where things might go after this podcast is over this evening. I would highly recommend you get a good night's sleep before driving back to Phoenix. Weird things might happen on a full moon in Vegas. So we'll see. Check in next time on Theater and College Hoops to see how this trip really turned out, if I'm even still uh, around, I guess, at that point. So well, that's actually a perfect perfect uh, point to bring up because I will not be hosting next episode. That's going to land on you and Shark. I will be deep in the Grand Canyon without any sort of service. My fiance wow. and her siblings and their spouses were all doing a hiking slash camping trip in the Grand Canyon. So no titch for me, but we'll we'll cross that bridge when we arrive at it. Let's dive in first and foremost to the biggest upset of the night. If you think me camping and hiking is an upset. Wait, hold on. No, I'm, I'm going to interrupt you. Were you going to tell Shark and I before like the actual day that you weren't going to be around? Or was I'll this just- next Monday. We're recording this, <laughs> recording this right now on a, on a Wednesday, right? Okay. okay. Tell you directly after this program. I'm sorry. Okay. Excuse me. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Can we talk Evansville, Kentucky, for the let's, love of God? Let's talk Evansville. Let's I mean, talk what the, the Purple dude. Aces. Let's go. What, well, what Vegas, Aces, Vegas Aces. Oh, yes. uh, 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 okay. Here we go. Here we go. It's already yes, coming. It's you. already coming. Picking up momentum. Walter McCarty, who is my boy. Big Celtics fan. He's one of the greatest Celtics of, of my generation. Former assistant coach on the Celtics now and uh, the Evansville head coach. Takes down his alma mater. What a story that is. And on top of that, another extra layer. It is getting cold. It's the wintertime. Got to put the layers on. Walter McCarty is from Evansville. Grew up there. I had no idea. So it's not like he goes back to his high school and coaches or anything like that. Goes back to the local college and then has a chance to go into his alma mater, and he takes him down when Kentucky was number one uh, in the entire country. For me, this is the equivalent of Appalachian State over Michigan in college football. Obviously, the stakes are much different. Michigan was number five, I think, ranked at the time. And basically, in college football, if you lose one, definitely two regular season games, uh, your, your chances at a national title are kaput. Now, Kentucky has an entire season – to go to, to obviously get better and they will get better. And I actually think that this was a ploy from Calipari to basically say, Oh, you think you're hot shit. You beat Michigan state hug for you. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to pull it back a little bit because you probably think you're, you're riding this wave and I'm going to now use this as my Trump card, my ACE in the hole. If you will, uh, if you, ever uh-huh. wanna, if you ever want to talk back to me because you just got upset and had a, probably the most embarrassing loss in Rupp Arena, I would say the most embarrassing loss in Cal Perry's tenure there. Uh, and then I was just shocked. Again, still very early. Uh, is this – let me ask you, Taylor. Can you confirm what I'm thinking? Is this the worst loss in Rupp Arena? Well, it's interesting that you might bring that up, Subi, because I, let me uh, selflessly plug something that I do every day, and that is – a little sports information that you can get every day from the warm-up daily newsletter. And yesterday, our, or this morning, our trivia was how many times has a number one Kentucky team lost at home to an unranked team? And this is the third time that's happened. 
So it's up there with one of the most embarrassing teams in, or embarrassing losses in Rupp Arena history. There's only been two other times that it's happened, uh, one of them being in 1955 and the other being in 1988. I, you know, I, the one thing I want to bring up, Sue, but I want to, I want to make sure that we emphasize this point is, is that these are just kids. All right. They're just kids. See, someone brought that up as well. And if it's against a legitimate SEC team or any other opponent that's like a, from a power conference, I might give it to you. I will. I refuse to let that that slide against Evansville. I mean, they were picked eighth in their conference this year preseason. Evansville. It's a. It is an awesome story. Uh, you know, with like you said, their coach and just everyone that's involved with the program and just obviously this is probably the biggest win in Evansville purple ace history. I would guess it's tough to tell. And this is almost, it's the blessing and the curse of college basketball. Kentucky, in my opinion, no longer has the opportunity to be a one seed in the tournament. Maybe in, this game. Yeah. Well, yeah. Cause I mean, if you compare it to, the other the other resumes at the time they're gonna have to go like undefeated in conference play to make up for something like this but it doesn't ruin their shot at winning a national championship it might prove to us as fans and analysts and experts whatever we want to call ourselves that maybe they aren't national championship material and i think it does i think it obviously it shows a major weakness that they have but it doesn't ruin their shot at anything. And that's the blessing and the curse of college basketball as we compare it to something like college football. You brought up the Appalachian State game. Michigan could have won the next 12 games after that, and they weren't going to the national championship game that year. Right. Right. Because the season was, was over that game. Was over. And that's what makes – that's in as much as we love college basketball, that's what makes college football's regular season a little more impactful and sure. notable – than, than a, a college basketball season. Now, this thing, this particular loss, will mean it means way more to Evansville than it does to Kentucky. Let's put it that way. You know, uh, at, Kentucky could go undefeated the rest of the non-con, win two games in conference. They still won't get the one seed, in my opinion. Maybe even the two seed because of a loss like this. But they could still bring it all together, and that's kind of what you alluded to. That uh, Calipari is going to be able to say, like, "Hey, guys." You know, you're not good. But what I will say is we kind of had these thoughts previous to the season is that this Kentucky roster isn't a bunch of NBA players like we usually see. Kentucky's played close games before, as we pointed out in the SEC preview episode. But they're just so much more talented that they, in the last two minutes, just like every good team always does against this type of opponent. They pull away and win by five or eight or whatever. Maybe this Kentucky team isn't that talented. And, I mean, Tyrese Maxey, RIP to his one week of him being my favorite college basketball player, because that's over. So that was a fun – that was a great – what a week. What a week. But I think it goes – and I'm sure we'll continue to touch on this point. I think it goes to show how absolutely wide open college basketball is this year. I mean, either is everybody suck, pretty much, or uh, where do we draw? Where are we do we do we need to get into that discussion now? I'm just not sure how we feel about a lot of these teams because 
it's one thing here i've opened in front of me here's a great example okay so number one teams have lost at home uh one two three four five six seven eight times since 1980 to unranked opponents in non-conference okay so that's a very small amount and if you look at the other teams here's some examples of why this loss is maybe a much more major loss than some of the other ones the previous one happened in 2013 north carolina beat number one michigan state yep okay Okay, so North Carolina was unranked, but what are we really calling that? You know, right. The previous ones are this, and we don't have to discuss these as, you know, individually, but Maryland over Florida in 2003, Xavier over Cincinnati in 99, Xavier over Cincinnati in 96, Alabama over UCLA in 83, Old Dominion over DePaul in 81. The only one I would say is maybe a, Similar type of upstate or upset is Long Beach State in 1993 over Kansas at yeah. at Fog, but yeah. Long Beach State even in those days wasn't an awful program. So really, this win by Evansville as a non-conference unranked team against a number one AP team is almost I don't know if unprecedented is the right word, but there's certainly not a lot. There's certainly not a lot of precedent to say that this has happened. Dude, they were a 25 point dog. And even more recently, I, I don't know, you may have, I don't think you mentioned these, but Northern Iowa apparently beat UNC in 2015 in the Dean Dome. Uh, Butler over Indiana, 2012. So, but again, Butler is a legitimate basketball program. UNI over UNC, Maybe. I mean, you and I had that for Oak Manesh <laughs> shot, so they were they were somewhat on the map. Evansville. I didn't even know Walter McCarty was their head coach, right? So no, I mean, right. This, they were 25-point underdogs, man. This is completely unprecedented. And the thing that I would worry about in Kentucky in looking at this, a lot of times you say to yourself, well, the other team just got hot, and maybe we had an off-night shooting. I think Evansville only shot 38%. Mm-hmm. So it's not like they were tearing the nets down, right? So I think they just got straight up outplayed, which is kind of troubling. At home, second game of the season when you're the this is your first game ranked number 1 overall. So uh, again, I mean I do think there is a bit of it where Calipari's kind of went easy on the coaching so he could do this on purpose, but it is troubling that your players themselves couldn't out talent, outwork out pretty much everything uh, Evansville at home. And so I think that is the biggest red flag. Now you brought up a point about, well, is it time now for us to say that pretty much every team stinks? And then this is, this is a wide open field that there's nobody that we should really be afraid of. I'm not going to go that far. I actually still think that the top four teams, maybe Sam's Kentucky. So the top three teams, when you look at Kansas Duke and Michigan state, I think those guys are just fine. Michigan State may not have played that well, but again, very first game in Madison Square Garden, they rebounded pretty well. Uh, Duke has not lost. Kansas hasn't lost since since their first uh, game against Duke. So I still think that those three teams are going to have tremendous seasons, and they still will be uh, the, the ones that people are aiming for. Now, is it a little bit more wide open than, let's say, years past? I guess, but Michigan State and Duke, Right. Last year, everyone was aiming at Duke as the clear cut number one, and they lost in the Elite Eight. No one really thought Texas Tech could could make another Final Four run 
after an elite eight run the year prior. Uh, so I don't know if it's more wide open now than it has been in the past. I just think that we've seen a couple upsets and again, everyone I think puts way too much stock into the, the champions classic automatically. They say mm, Michigan state kind of stinks. Cash Swinson's not that good. Like, dude, no, it's, that's not, that's not the case at all. So I, I do think that it's still premature to say that there isn't a top tier, top echelon group. And I, I do think that it's still Michigan state, Duke and Kansas, Kentucky though, because this didn't seem like an outlier type of game. I could see Kentucky losing a, a couple more times. Well, well, it's the specific reason, albeit that the, the team that I picked may have just have has the same issue is it's the specific reason that I picked Kentucky to win or Florida to win the SEC because Kentucky drops games early to teams that are lesser because they're just kids sub but Florida lost to Florida State and got bundled by them like got purely dominated the whole the whole game even though the score was only like a 12 point score they were they were not in the lead one time that game. At no point did anyone involved think Florida was winning. And so we look, we have a, you know, if we take the preseason top 25 teams, here are the teams that have already lost. We're on day 10 of the college basketball season. Here's the preseason top 25 teams that have already lost this year. Michigan State, Kentucky, Kansas, Florida, Nova, Memphis, St. Mary's, Baylor, LSU and Purdue twice. That's a lot of top 25 losses. And six of those are in the top. No, hold on. One, two, three, four, five of those are in the top 10 of preseason rankings. Now, albeit some of them may have come against each other, you know, like Michigan State. Michigan and Kansas. State. Yeah, exactly. The other ones aren't. I mean, Nova just tonight, 20 minutes ago, just got beat to shit by Ohio State, who we don't really think. We don't really think that highly of, do we? Right. I mean, just, no. I mean, just a, I actually, just a, this game I might think a little bit higher of them. Right, but we think that they're a good college basketball team, right? Yeah. And then you have the likes of, like, you know, we'll take Memphis loss. Memphis loss, fine, to Oregon, which we'll get to later. That's not a bad loss. But you look at, you know, Purdue's lost twice. LSU lost to VCU. St. Mary's lost to – who the hell did they lose to? Went yeah, right. yeah. Wisconsin too. Right, right. And so you look at, you know, a team like Washington beat Baylor. Washington, a team that we had maybe as team as a team that would be up and coming at the end of the year. Up and came early. So you think to yourself, okay, so a team like Washington, for example, has similar build to a Kentucky. A lot of highly talented freshmen, a couple old guys in there. I, I know it's really early, but can we say a team like Washington is maybe better than Kentucky already? They beat a ranked team in a neutral site, Anchorage, Alaska, shout out. And Kentucky, the number one team, quote unquote, number one team in the country, just lost at home to Evansville. Yeah, so I mean, it's interesting, it's, it's interesting that we, 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 we don't see – we see parody in college basketball for sure. But we don't even necessarily see all of this type of parody this early. You know, I mean, there's, there's, this is where big time teams are supposed to dominate. And the fact that we already having a, a parody discussion 10 days into the college basketball season, I think leads us or leads me at least to believe that 
things are wide open. You can eat, you know, as Arizona fans, I don't want to belabor the point that we're Arizona fans, but there hasn't been a team that's looked better than Arizona as the 18th ranked team in the country or whatever they are now beating a team, beating Illinois to shit the other day, who we thought was going to be a good team this year. So I think you look at some of those teams that are in that 10 to 20 range and go, they might, they might just be as good as Kansas and Duke, certainly Kentucky, you know, all of those teams, to, you know, you, there's a, already two weeks into the year. We're thinking that, or at least I'm thinking that our national championship pool may have gone from literally like five or six teams to 20 teams it, over, on, almost overnight. I could agree with that, but I still think though, that there are going to be teams to beat at, at the end of the season. If, if, if we well, at the at the end of the season, yeah, sure. Right, but as of right now, yeah, sure. As of right now, it's I guess, I suppose it is open, but uh, I don't I don't foresee Kansas, Michigan State, and and Duke ever leaving that top five, maybe top seven ranking. Uh, those other teams very well may climb, but I, that performance against Evansville was was concerning to me for Kentucky. So we'll see how they rebound going forward. In the SEC, my next question though is, how far does Kentucky drop next poll? Because Florida dropped a, around eleven spots when they were completely flat-footed against an actual good team in Florida State, but that was again at home, and they dropped eleven spots. I think it was from four to fifteen. Kentucky at home, number newly minted number one, loses to a complete nobody in in Evansville. I think they drop from the to the 20 to 25 range. I'm not being, I'm not being over the top here. I could see Kentucky probably being at 20 or 21 come next Monday. Uh, I mean, if this team didn't have a Kentucky name on the front of their shirt, do you think they'd even be ranked? Well, if they were, if they were number one, just in a vacuum, you know, let's because no, so because I remember this. I remember like a six, seven years ago, maybe eight years ago, that team with with Dexter Pittman at Texas were ranked number one, and then they just went on a complete landslide, starting with UConn, I believe, and so they slowly but surely started to get ranked lower and lower. So Texas is not a Kentucky, but if you were ranked number one, yeah, I still think that you wouldn't be completely dropped from the rankings. But do I think that this is would I be surprised if I, I think any team that is ranked number one and then lose to an, loses to an Evansville at home should be between that 20 to 25 range. I will say because it's Kentucky that they will err towards the higher end of that range right there around 20. Well, and Kentucky is very fortunate that they played nobody for their next couple of games. They, no, but see, but see, you know, they already played nobody. That's well, yeah. That's yeah. I mean, you're right. You're right. In terms of the early part of the schedule, they already played their hardest opponent in Michigan State and dismantled them. Well, I shouldn't say dismantled them, but they beat them. Evansville is supposed to be an easy opponent. Sneaky uh, stretch of games that Kentucky's going to have is they play Ohio State and Louisville back to back in uh, around Christmas time. That's really where we're going to see if they're good or not. And, I mean, like we said, they should have the talent. But this, I think, to me, obviously is not a normal Kentucky-talented team. It's a step below that. Now, um, 
Yeah, they play Lamar, UAB, Farley Dickinson. Side note, Farley Dickinson was always one of my favorite teams to be uh, in NCAA college basketball, like 2010. Somehow you could always get them to be good. In, Yo, and I'll, uh, I'll laugh at FDU, but they have a nice point guard. Uh, <laughs> he's from West Virginia. He's got bleached hair, kind of looks like a light-skinned Cisco. I'm blanking on his name right now, but he played well in the play-in game last year. I think it was the 16 versus 16, but – Honestly, well again, I don't. I don't want to. If I'm if I'm Cal in Kentucky, I'm not taking any of these guys lightly. And actually, obviously, they wouldn't. If I'm a Kentucky fan, I'm not going into this being like W W W. Yeah, I mean, uh, friend of the program, Palmer Yoakum, and I were chatting. Big Kentucky uh-huh. fan, big Kentucky fan, and he's not thrilled with this. Now, going back to your question, after we've looped around for 35 minutes. It may have been because I forgot what your question was for about a minute there. But where was Kentucky going to be ranked? I kind of made for the I, – I went for the argument last week that – that or last episode that I don't think Florida should even be ranked. Because Just after that loss? Florida State. Beat, yeah, but they beat, they only beat North Florida by like 15. So what are we what, – what have they proven this year as being the number six team in the country? They beat a shitty team by – 15 points and then they lost they got completely dominated by an unranked team what 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 about that says they should be ranked well i don't even know who's who's ranked from 20 to 25 but if you if you think to yourself is florida better than these teams i mean yeah obviously you have to look at what they've done on to to this point but i I don't think they should have been completely unranked well i guess we look at you know florida is still ahead right now now, obviously, this is before this last week's happenings or this this last couple of days' happenings. But Florida's still ahead of Ohio State, who they're not going to be after this year or after this week. Right. They're still, they're still ahead of uh, Arizona and Washington and Xavier, all teams that are going to probably move ahead of them this week. So I would be disappointed. Let me, let's put it this way. Florida and Kentucky should be ranked like – I think you're right. Like 22. Sure. Tie them for 22. Yeah. Yeah. That's perfectly fine with me. Cause I think that I, and I think it's just an absolute like atrocity that um, Florida states. I mean, what, what is Florida state's record? Do we know off the top of our head? No clue. But like the the point I'm making is that they're not, they're not a pushover. Leonard Hamilton always was Florida state teams. It's like they're a real breathing College basketball team. Evansville, I cannot say the same. No, I, I'm with you. Oh, yeah, that's right, because Florida State lost the first week of the year. That's exactly why Florida <laughs> yeah, should That's exactly why Florida shouldn't even be ranked. They lost to an 0-1 team and got completely dominated by them. I know they're not a pushover. I get that they're not a pushover. But, like, just being close to home, would we consider Illinois a pushover? No. So And, they, and Arizona won by, like, 21. So why is Florida ranked ahead of them after, with a loss to an unranked team? It's a, it's a, it's all. I think the whole discussion is about what school of thought you fall into when it comes to preseason rankings, right? right? Exactly. And I, I think I shifted it as we mature in life. I think we've, I've personally shifted into understanding. I know how worthless preseason rankings are, but I think that I always subscribed to them a lot more when I was younger versus now. Because now I'm like, they're not worth anything. And I think it's dumb that there's still a bunch of 65-year-old 
college basketball writers that subscribe, that hang their hats on their preseason rankings. It's almost like NFL officiating, not overturning any calls because they don't want to admit they're wrong. It's like college basketball writers not wanting to admit they're wrong, that like the team they had the number one in the country should be out of the rankings by week three. I still don't think that they should be completely out of the rankings. Or, but, or, or the number six team in the country should be out of the sure. rankings, right? With, yeah, you know, whatever. It's, it's, or at least not- telling that. I, I agree. I, I will I will meet you halfway. I'll say that Florida should be should have been ranked entering this week 20 to 25, somewhere around there. On 15. Yeah, right, yeah. yeah. I suppose looking at it and taking a step back, you're saying to yourself, only 11 spots. Yeah, that's true. But it's after, an- after losing to a team that lost to Pitt in week one. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm glad we're talking about the Floridas, the Kentuckys, the LSUs, even the Auburns who had barely escaped South Alabama. What the hell is going on with the SEC? This is a perfect show for the shark to have his birthday on because he's an SEC guy and he, he's trying to control the story also in our group chat by saying that, by the way, Tennessee is going to stink this year. I don't care. You're repping the SEC. And you always talk big balls about the SEC. They're terrible right now. They're awful. We've discussed Florida, losing to Florida State. Everyone in the collegiate basketball universe knows about Kentucky and Rupp. Again, those two games were at home. Let's not forget about that. LSU just went down uh, against VCU in the Will Wade Bowl. And and then Auburn, like I had said, needed a last-second shot, I think with one second to go, to escape South Alabama. So something's going on with the SEC. And the reason why I bring up the shark as well is because, look, we we can take ownership. I'll take ownership right now. Saying last episode that I'm not worried about Kentucky. My Kentucky pick looks great. Two days later, that changed on a dime. Your pick, not looking great. But see the shark. The shark kept saying, "Oh yeah, you guys, you guys are talking about Kentucky, Florida. What, uh, what about LSU? What about LSU, dude? They, they didn't they look just, good at all. They just lost to VCU tonight. Exactly. So I mean, he's saying LSU is not going to go anywhere. All three of these teams look look terrible, but at least Florida and Kentucky have the talent to to continue. I don't think LSU does. If we subscribe to the chops either. If we subscribe to my argument that I was just trying to make Auburn. Actually, I would say none of these SEC teams should be ranked right now. If you just take the first two week performances, well, technically Auburn hasn't lost. Well, I know, but they look like they look like shit, though, which is a really important factor when it comes to deciding the rankings of people, right? Right, but 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 so then how how are you gonna how are you gonna kick out Kentucky when they look that good sure. against State? I'm not saying that I'm in the majority here. I'm just saying if we're banking what my argument was one segment ago. But if you look, so there are four ranked teams in the SEC right now. Three of them has losses. Yeah. That's pretty crazy. How Florida is still ranked again is ridiculous because <laughs> it, it, I, I mean, and now, now, now that I continue to do more on the fly research as we do this, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, there's literally no reason for them to be even ranked at all. But whatever, that's neither here nor there. So I was pretty high on this conference coming into the year. And let me let me try and swing it as to why I might still be high on this conference. The reason I was high on this conference is I thought that they were going to get in a number of more teams than was projected for them to get into the NCAA tournament. If your top two teams 
aren't as good as predicted, wouldn't you think that maybe they might get picked off a couple more times in conference and a couple more teams might get a couple bigger victories to maybe get into the tournament? That's how I'm swinging this. Yeah, no, see, I, I like I like how you're spin zoning this right now. And I, this is the beauty of college basketball. Just two weeks ago, you were all on Florida for winning the SEC. And, of course, you're still going to back that pick. I think you've said maybe four or five times this episode thus far, we're about 33 minutes in, that they shouldn't even be fucking ranked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Beauty of college basketball. So, uh, but, but something's going on with the SEC. They're terrible right now. Uh, it's been, and, and these are the four teams that were supposed to spearhead the conference that we've talked about. Florida, Kentucky. I think we said that those two in our previews, in our SEC previews, Florida and Kentucky were the two teams that were the clear cream of the crop, followed by the LSUs and the Auburns. And then, shit, we haven't even talked about Nate Oates in Alabama uh, losing their first game. So the SEC is on life support right now. They need to figure it out. But so to your point when you were saying, okay, so who's ranked 20 to 25? We Let's look at the teams even further who are ranked 26 to 30, right? Like who would we move in above this? And this is going to make more your point than it is mine. The teams behind them are VCU, okay? They, they beat LSU, so they should move up. Mm-hmm. Uh, Florida State has a loss to Pitt. Fine. Texas beat Purdue. Good. Marquette good but then we go into teams like tennessee providence who lost tonight purdue who's lost twice houston utah missouri arkansas we're also not moving any of these teams up because they're good arkansas by the way i think was one of my other surprise picks but that's for another day georgetown as well but we're not looking at any of these teams and being like oh they're sick too it's almost like uh, just a lesser of all the evils Really, if you go, if we say, and this actually might be a great line, the 20 mark right now, the 20 mark is Washington with 19 being Arizona. And then let's take St. Mary's out because they lost this week. Everything beyond that is completely out of, out, out, almost out of it at this point. They, they've looked that bad this early. Some of the teams above that take out St. Mary's and maybe – you know, Kentucky, they still look all right. Texas Tech mm-hmm. look good. Seton yeah. Hall, Michigan State this week is going to be look good too. Yeah, Memphis and Oregon. Now, so let's take let's take this a, a good um, a good determining factor on how we feel about college basketball going forward this season, and also how we feel about the voters who vote in the AP poll is where they put Memphis after this game. They, they so they lost to. Uh, they lost to Oregon last night in a in a good game. But it was competitive game. Yeah, by eight, eight right? Yep. Now we can we can argue that um, you know Oregon didn't have fun. Uh, I can't ever okay. say his name. Just go with Dante. <laughs> yeah, and finally Dante. Thank you. And that's a, a legitimate argument. I was actually very impressed. I might be more impressed with Oregon than any other team in the country at this point because. Because it t- the last couple of years it's taken them, especially last year, took them a lot of time to gel. They just beat arguably the most purely talented team in the country last night. Albeit it was in Oregon, not a home game, quote-unquote, in the Rose Garden in Portland. But they they won that game, and they won it not, not handily, but it was a good win. You know, it was, just, it was a solid win. They might be the most impressive team in the country I've seen this point. I'm not saying they should be like number one or top five, but in terms of how I projected them, 
they are certainly backing up uh, Shark's point literally two days ago when they said he, he was the pick, or they were the pick to go to the Final Four. Now, if we see Memphis after a loss to a really, really good to borderline great Oregon team be ranked behind like a Florida and a Kentucky this week, then I'm going to have, or this coming week, or a Nova too, who just got bundled by Ohio State. I'm going to have some serious issues to with how we really vote on, on AP top 25 polls, which I've always had issues with, but really to how much we should even, how much stock we should put into them on the show as a whole. I get that they're not worth anything, really. It's just fodder for people to talk about. But Memphis is, in my opinion, better than Florida, better than Villanova, better than Kentucky, better than all of these people, at least what we've seen on the court so far this year. So where they lie, we'll have to put a pin in this while you're in the Grand Canyon and see where they fall in the rankings as compared to some of the other teams that have lost. I'll agree with that with the exception of one team. I think Kentucky should still get the benefit of the doubt and be ranked higher than them. Again, based on what they did in MSG against Michigan State, who I still think is a great team. But I agree with you in the sense that Memphis should be ranked higher next week than Florida. You think? Uh, wait, hold on, hold on. You think Kentucky, who just lost to Evansville yeah. at Rupp Arena, should be ranked higher than Memphis, who lost to Oregon in Oregon. I think Memphis will drop to like 21, 22. And okay. So, okay. Hold on. Let me, let me differentiate here. Do you think they are going to be ranked higher or do you think they should be ranked higher? There's a difference. Sure. Um, I don't know. Jury's still out in my opinion on should, because it's not like Memphis has beaten a great team. Kentucky has. And I know Kentucky lost to a terrible team and Memphis has won losses to a terrible team, but I still think we're completely devaluing what Kentucky did in their first game of the season, which we, which we shouldn't do. So, I mean, what Memphis is 15, right? Or 14, 13. Okay. I could see them dropping a few more spots. Um, But I mean, that's just, that's just me personally. And let's, let's talk about that Memphis Oregon game because it was a pretty competitive match, and we were we were looking forward to this. This was marked on a lot of people's calendar in the off season. Wiseman, I was taking I was taking notes on this game, right? And I was ready to say that Wiseman had a terrible game, but he really didn't. I think he finished with twelve and eleven or something like that. I mean, he was completely sidelined in the first half because of a soft whistle from uh, from the refs. NCAA probably just hates him. Oh yeah, that's another thing. That's another thing. They'll probably be ranked below Kentucky because the NCAA. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. That's, that's true. That's true. So, uh, but I was, I was looking at it and I said, oh, Wiseman's not playing very well. But then again, you look up and towards the end of the game, you see what an impact he really had. And that is the mark of a truly great player. Maybe, I mean, obviously in college basketball, but who I think is going to be a transcendent player in the NBA or a number one overall pick, which he clearly is projected to be, but I remember DeAndre Ayton watching him at Arizona when you seemingly thought he had a pretty bad game. A bad game for him is like fifteen and eleven, yeah, or twenty and ten. Yeah, right, right. right. And, and where where you're saying, oh, he's off today. He's not playing well, and then he has an easy double double, right? I think I think Wiseman accumulated all of that in twenty minutes of, of basketball, all in the second half. Twenty two, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
22 minutes, exactly. So Wiseman did not uh, have a great first half, but he rebounded very strong. The only thing, though, is that, to me, Memphis, this was the game that Memphis looked like a bunch of freshmen, and it was in the second half because they were they played pretty well without Wiseman on the floor, and you're, you're going to be an idiot if you say that Memphis is a better team without him. But there was a point in the second half where I think Oregon just went on like an 8-0 run. And Memphis just had disjointed offensive possessions. They weren't rotating on defense. They were committing silly fouls. They did not look like a poised and calm team, which is what you get when you have a bunch of freshmen. And we hearken back to our preview. That was our biggest concern, right, is can these freshmen carry them in big-time games? And you look across the bench and you see Dana Altman, who is – a much higher tenure in coaching than Penny Hardaway. You look at Peyton Pritchard, right? Who's been there forever. Uh. Then, yeah. I mean, he's six, <laughs> but he still has that experience and don't get me. I'll, I'll, I'll touch base on Pritchard later this episode, but Memphis to me, their, their youth really uh, cost them in this game. And to be honest with you, I didn't see Penny making that many adjustments either, but they did go up against a very, very good Oregon team. I just thought that they got outclassed in the second half and experience won out. So, I, I, like I said, I'm very impressed with Oregon. I will say there's got to be a little bit of, I don't know, fatigue's the right word, but with the James Wiseman stuff from last week and then sure. the game, like two days later, three days later, you have to fly from Memphis to Oregon to play a neutral site game in Portland, which is just right. all Oregon fans against a team that's very talented as well. I, I, I don't think I, I think I learned more. Let's put it this way. I learned way more about Oregon than I did about Memphis. I don't really think any differently about Memphis after this game. That's fair. I think, I, I think, I think way more highly of Oregon after this game, but I still think of Memphis as like, okay, there are the young team that's going to take some knocks from time to time, especially when you throw a little extra spice with Ball and Ball and Fishman having to be a representative of the team as well in this particular situation. You know, and, and I think you can look in, and I know that we're not all about stats on this show, though I'm a much bigger stat guy than you are. I think we can, sure. I think we can say that. Memphis shot four of 23 from three. And I don't think that's an indictment on them being a bad shooting team. I don't think they're an awesome shooting team. But they're not a four of 23 from three shooting team. I think that is a classic example of a unfamiliar arena in a, a cross country game early in the season with a bunch of extra shit going on around it. Now I will say I do have one concern with Oregon and Oregon had an awesome recruiting class um, with Dante. And then their other guy that was supposed to be a stud CJ Walker, five-star guy, borderline five-star guy, like 26, 27, right? person or player in the country he had no points in five minutes wow sounds like and, a early type of thing with jay wright and and nova and and i i i don't want to look too far into it to say that like i know the end all be all of why this is happening or or whatever but he's he's only scored one point in two games wow that's no, for the for, for a, what, who's someone who's supposedly a freak five star? Oh, excuse me. In, excuse me. He's. I, I, let me take that back. Here's his averages over three games now: point seven points, 
a turnover, three personal fouls, and one rebound per game in nine minutes averaged per game. Something, something's up there, right? We don't necessarily have our finger on the pulse of Oregon basketball, although we try and keep up with the Pac-12 as best as possible. Something's up there. I don't know. Maybe someone can correct us if they're listening to this. I don't know if he's been hurt or whatever, but five points against or five minutes, excuse me, against a uber-talented Memphis team when you're supposed to be an uber-talented five-star recruit. You have, uh, you know, like Pritchard paid 33 minutes. Uh, Francis Okoro, who's playing the same forward spot as Walker, has played 25 minutes. Uh, Even uh, uh, one of their backup guards, Richardson, played 31 minutes. So you think, okay, this guy is supposed to be supremely talented. Isn't doing much. So even though Oregon won this game, that's where I have pause, even though I've been very impressed with them, is they're uber-talented freshmen. One of them isn't even eligible, and the other one is putting up the same that you and I would against UT Austin in garbage time. But see, that is actually the reason why I'm, I'm in on Oregon after this week. And again, this is all very fluid. I could be completely out on Oregon next week. But... <laughs> The fact that they don't have Dante, the fact that they are, are are barely playing this guy and are still winning is pretty impressive. And I think that's a testament to Dana Altman, who I think John Rothstein essentially likened to a Rubik's Cube. He's able to get everything into place no matter the situation or the circumstances on real tweet. Uh, but, yeah, so I, I think I may have been a little too hard on, on Memphis in my analysis, but I, I think the point stands that they looked like freshmen in that second half. And there's a ton of different variables that go into that. But if, if you're expecting big things out of Memphis come the NCAA tournament, which I think you are, I think you had mentioned elite eight. These are I the do. Yeah. that you're going to be playing in the sweet 16 based on, on your seed. So, you know, I think once these freshmen get some of these games under their belt, we'll see how they are come late February. I just thought in this particular game, uh, they they kind of looked like deer in the headlights when when adversity hit against a very good team, essentially on the road. Well, they turned Oregon over 18 times. You can't lose in college basketball when you force almost 20 turnovers a game. And the only way you lose that is if you can't make a single bucket. And that's essentially what happened in Memphis. You know, they, they shot 38% from the field and 17% from the three-point line. So they couldn't get buckets at all. But I'm going to say, as someone who is still high on Memphis, I'm like I previously said, I'm still in the camp that this is a tough game to play in your like third game of the year, especially given mm-hmm. the circumstances that surround it. Because and and that's why we always look back and and every fan base complains about not playing tough games early, and and we talk about that with Tom Izzo more than anybody else probably is how they lose some games early, but it makes them tougher. For the, for the stretch run. was This this wasn't designed by Penny because Penny's only been there 18 months. You know, when this game was scheduled, he was still moving boxes with the Wisemans into a U-Haul. But this, is, I think, is more of the uh, positive loss, the good loss, as we call it in the yeah. SEC college football world, than it is, a, a, you know, uh, any real determining factor on their uh, uh, projections going forward. Sure. What I will say though is Lester Quinones. Good God, those shorts, shorts man, thighs out. 
Thighs were out. You know, Sue, a wise man once said, it ain't tricking if you got it. So I, I don't know if Lester has it, to be honest. <laughs> that, that, might also be, and I might, that might be true, too. You're right. You're right. I, I got to tell you also, our, our guy Zach here at the Barn Burner, he quote tweeted, I think it was uh, David Jacoby, who was talking about his Lester Kino and his, his shorts. And Zach basically said, well, this is a, you know, this is a pretty played out topic. This is the first I've seen him rolled up his shorts that that much. So maybe I don't watch enough Memphis basketball, but those things were blinding. And it just automatically reminded me of this is going to be a deep cut. My favorite show ever, Arrested Development, Tobias Fumke. He's a never nude. And he there's this one scene where he comes out with incredibly high cut jean shorts. And he says, do these effectively hide my thunder? And that's <laughs> That's what I picture Lester Quinones did when he walked out of the locker room, stared at Penny straight in the face and was like, and here's, here's my thing about Quinones' shorts. Jalen Rose didn't get racially profiled, didn't get, you know, hate mail from Michigan fans for wearing baggy shorts and black socks for you to just go ahead and completely unravel his legacy. You're undercutting the entire program. Really? He is. Yeah. People – People have gotten strongly worded letters recently for you for you for yeah for you to wear your shorts below your goddamn knees. <laughs> please be have a, some respect for those that came before you. Be a basketball player one time, please. One time, Gavit tip-off games. Let's talk about that, huh? Villanova versus Ohio State. We touched upon it a little bit, but Villanova got the absolute shit kicked out of them. <laughs> Hug for Ohio State, man. I actually thought this was going to be a close game. I did think Ohio State was going to win because they were at home, but this wasn't even close from the jump, man. Ohio State hit three threes to start the game, and it was a wrap ever since. I, I'm I'm not really sure what to make of Villanova. Again, this is a one of those situations where <laughs> – excuse me. Or maybe situations in reverse where I think we thought of Ohio State as a good – basketball team before this and I'm not even sure I'm willing to say that they're a great team after this what I will say is though that I'm much more low on Nova now because if you're a top 10 team similar to some of the other teams we've talked about already you can't lose by 25 in your third game of the year no matter where it's at it could be anywhere ever it could be in North Pole Alaska in the snow and you probably still shouldn't lose by 25 so I'm not really sure um, what to think of, of Nova after this because uh, they were playing. You know, I, I pointed out how well their freshmen were playing in the in one of the previous episodes, and they that all went to shit right away. Um, let's look at this Memphis game as an example. Memphis goes on the road in tough circumstances, loses by eight, close enough to say, okay, Tough circumstances, whatever. Still say, okay, they're a talented squad. I don't. Nova just got the shit beat out of them. Yeah. So I can't. I can't say that. Like, oh well, they they still might be good. They lost twenty five to a a good team on the road. So uh, again, going back to one of our first discussions we had on this particular episode, Memphis still needs to be ranked ahead of like a Villanova because Villanova has shown us nothing now. And there's another team that you could argue shouldn't even be ranked if literally anyone behind them was good at all. 
you just lost by 25 to a high teens ranked team, not to a top 10 team, not to a top five team to like a team that was picked to finish fourth in the big 10 this year, I think. Were they picked that? Because I think it's it, Michigan State number one. Who would be third? Pretty, I think they got third. Yeah, right. Whatever. I mean, Villanova was picked to win their conference this year by the by the media. Oh, sure. And then you look and say, so this is maybe uh, protecting our uh, Seton Hall pick, but now you got Seton Hall without Miles Powell. We could say a lot about the Big East now too, at least the top end of it, because. If Miles Powell or Miles Powell less Seton Hall gets smoked by Michigan State this coming week or tomorrow, right? Tomorrow? Yeah, Seton Hall plays Michigan State tomorrow. Right. Then hey, actually, we, mi- we might have to have this same, this same discussion about the Big East because I was really high on the Big East as well. But if your top two teams get smoked, as we've seen with the SEC, not a good look pre- in, in the early season. I'd, I I, I get the correlation you're trying to make. The only thing is that Kentucky and Florida had like national title aspirations. In my opinion, I don't think Seton Hall and Villanova came into the season with national title. I think I think Shark would disagree with that. Yeah, he's a fucking idiot. Though. That's <laughs> I know he disagrees. He's he's the antagonist. That's why. But and I'm sure he's going to be listening to this and be ready to go when, by the time all three of us reconvene. But. Uh, you know, I, you could you could make it to a lesser degree, in my opinion, but Villanova just got completely smoked in in Columbus today, and then uh, Purdue Marquette. So you talk about Seton Hall going down, Marquette with a big win, and this is Purdue's second loss, which we've harped on, and uh, not a great start for the Big Ten either. But with with Miles Powell out. We we talked in our preview, the Big East preview, that we're not sure if Marquette is going to make the tournament. We're not sure if Marcus Howard can will them to the oh, tournament. I, I, I was sure. No. I was sure yeah. that they were. Yeah. I personally said no. You said yes. Marcus Howard is putting on shows these past couple games. And he only had 18 tonight, which I think you had mentioned. But Marquette, huge win tonight, in my opinion. Because that that is a game that they, if you look prior to the season, that's an L for them. And they came out and beat Purdue, who is – now reeling a little bit with two straight losses. Marquette has one other opportunity for a notable, let's call it, uh, or two, I guess I should say, notable non-conference win. They play at Wisconsin uh, this weekend, and then they play at Kansas State uh, early in December. But those are not monster games. Those are just kind of average non-conference basketball games. So the fact that they beat Purdue, uh, a, a preseason ranked team, and a team that, I mean, I guess I, I picked them to win the Big Ten, but that's not looking awesome. But, <coughs> excuse me again, I apologize. Um, you're already, in, in terms of your bubble status, which is kind of where we had projected them to be, I, I said that they were going to easily on the right side of the bubble. They only need to win one of those two games, in my opinion, to make the tournament now. And that's really the big key is, because both of those games are road games. If they pick off either Wisconsin, another bubble team, Kansas State, uh, maybe another bubble team, then you're sitting on not only the right side of the bubble when it terms when it comes to like your RPI and stuff, you're sitting on the right side of the bubble of the teams you're actively competing against on the bubble. 
Right. And so that's why that's going to be a huge get for Marquette if they can. And again, by the next episode, if they do beat Wisconsin, we'll know. We'll have a good determination on whether Marquette's going to have the cojones to make the tournament or not. Because if they win two of their three biggest out-of-conference games in the first three games of the season, we're going to have to maybe put them up one click in terms of where we think of them uh, in the conference and maybe just nationally as a whole. Not saying they should be like top 15, whatever, but they're going to, if they can beat Wisconsin and Purdue in back-to-back games in the second and third game of the year, then we got to have them probably sliding out into the tournament rather than out of the tournament, at least again through through three games, which whatever we know, but at least our thoughts on them are definitely going to be higher. And that's all we can do now at this point. But I also think this is a testament to Wojo too. So when we were talking about in our Big East preview, I think neither neither of us took him as coach of the year, but he was in my mind. He was percolating a little bit in my mind because what he's done per- percolate, yeah. What he's done with Marcus Howard and, and Marquette up until this point already is pretty damn impressive. And so it's not like the NBA where when you have one stud, you can just roll the ball out, let him do his thing. Even when you have a bucket getter like like uh, Marcus Howard, you still need to do some coaching to beat a very talented and well-rounded team in Purdue. So you're right, uh, going up against Wisconsin on the road is going to be a difficult test. Another well-rounded team who they could very well meet on the bubble as well. But big win tonight for Marquette. From good win to bad loss, Providence against Northwestern. No business losing this game. Listen to the Providence Crier podcast. They have a great breakdown of the Gavit tip-off games. PCP, get your fix. But listening to the Crier and also listening to his colleague, uh, Brady Stonebolt, Brandon O'Rourke, shout out. They both have this prophecy, right? So they have the Crier prophecy, which is Final Four. Brendan's is Elite Eight, but essentially a very deep run for PC. And on, on this podcast, Brendan was saying, if they were to go to the Elite Eight, they need to go into Evanston and handle business. This was, again, recorded prior to this game. So he said they need to go in there and handle business. So a lot of these teams, right, that are ready to make that leap, before you crown them, you have to see some sort of barometer. You have to see a game where in the past they would lose, but if they're ready to make that turn around the corner, they win. And this was that game. Providence did not win. And so this is this is a bad loss for PC uh, that they need to rebound from. And I'm fearful. I don't think they're going to be on the bubble. I think they're going to be safely in the tournament. But if they find themselves on the bubble, they are going to look back at this particular game and shake their fucking head. Merrimack in their second Division One game ever beat Northwestern earlier this week. It's a bad loss for PC and Ed Cooley. They just throw up these stinkers sometimes that are just inexplicable. Well, that's why they never eclipse at like 19 mark in their rankings. The best season they ever have is like they, they reach 19 and then lose to a team like Northwestern. And, Not, I, and they, weren't, they weren't ranked this year. I'm just saying it's like previous. Yeah, uh, that's why they're always in the play-in game. Whenever they do make the tournament, it's always the play-in game. They're the well, and so it's a, it's a blessing – and a curse, I guess. Oh, I'm looking at the wrong schedule. Excuse me. 
you know, I'm looking, I'm trying to look at some of the other opportunities that they have to make up for something like this, right? They have a solid, well, a solid Big East schedule ahead. Funny enough, they played Merrimack in two games, so. <laughs> Transit property said they'll lose. If I was still in Vegas, I would bet Merrimack whatever line that was because I don't, I, I can see where this is right, uh, common opponents. But you look, they play URI, they play Florida, who sucks, I guess, now too. <laughs> I, I mean, they just don't have any. They don't have any opportunities to make up for that before they get to conference play. They play Florida, Texas, Georgetown as their first three games or their last three games in December, and so it's the it, when when we go back to scheduling and we look at good wins versus quality losses. Right, they're going to have no good wins and bad losses. That's what we're going to look at as their non-conference situation now. You don't they think do they have the any of those teams in Mohegan? Well, they have the opportunity to play Arizona in the John Wooden Classic this year. Now, that's going to have to be a game that they win if they want to top anything seed now after losing to Northwestern. But I don't. I just don't. I don't. It's another thing where you where you say, okay, I I don't think any Northwestern sucks, right? I don't think anything differently about them. I think completely differently about Providence, though. You, again, you can't lose these type of games. Even if it's an at Northwestern game. It was on the road. Don't get me wrong, but like you, the Merrimack, Merrimack, the second D one game they've ever played ever, and they and they beat Northwestern, and you lose to them by uh, by nine points. So not even like a buzzer beater fluke situation. I mean, this game, I was watching it down in the Westgate Sportsbook here in Las Vegas, Nevada. And uh, the whole time I was down there from the under three minute on, it was just, there was, it was just free throw and whatever. It wasn't even a, it wasn't, it, it was close, I guess, but not, not like down to the last possession type of close. Well, they're better. They're the better team than Northwestern. So that's why this, this game sucks even more. It's that, you played poorly. You knew you had to go in and just take care of business. And the second it started getting close, that's that's the worst feeling as a fan when you just know how inferior your, your opponent is. When you know that in a a season where you have legitimate expectations, uh, you need to win this game. And I will also say, randomly for the for the Friars, the Greater Chicago area is kind of a house of horrors for them. I don't think they fare so well in DePaul either in conference play. So I don't know if they'll come back to the greater Chicago area uh, for out of, out of conference games, but PC, they need to, I'm not ready to completely, I don't, I don't necessarily uh, think of them any different. I think less of them slightly, but this is a game that they needed to have because they're out of conference schedule. There's going to be more opportunities and they're going to be able to play in Mohegan sun. I, I think in Connecticut, if I'm mistaken, my fault, but that's going to essentially be a home game. Uh, when they play there. So they're going to have to rack up some wins there because once they go to the West coast, there's going to be true road games for them, especially against Arizona. So bad loss for the prior. And, and- well, and I think a team, you know, I, I, I get that we're a fan of this team in Arizona, but you look at what Arizona has done to this point in the season. And you look at what Providence has done for the first couple of games too. I think Arizona's going to beat the shit out of Providence at this point. Now, well, Arizona is also the exact same type of team where you think they're going to beat the shit out of someone and then they don't. Like until sure. until Arizona sure. until Arizona goes into Waco 
and beats Baylor, then I'll be like, okay, this team's pretty real. And if they beat Gonzaga, then I'll be a hundred percent on board. Oh, 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 yeah. In the elite eight. So, but until then, I'm not. I'm not ready to talk spicy about Arizona beating the shit out of anyone just yet. So let me go back to a team. Is DePaul winning the Big East this year? Oh my god! Four, Absolutely. Four and oh, four and oh, DePaul, who just hammered Iowa, and your boy at Farley Dickinson. Charlie, uh, who's their point guard? He's been around the block. Charlie Ch- Moore. Charlie Moore. Chuck Moore. Chuck Moore, man. Started at Cal, went to Kansas, now back home at DePaul. So, no, they are not going to win the Big East. Short story. <laughs> answer, excuse me. But regardless, bad loss for Providence College. Uh, now, again, we discussed Michigan State versus Seton Hall. That is going to tip off tonight. Huge game. Again, no Miles Powell, which stinks because I really wanted to see the guard play between him and Cassius Winston. In my opinion, I think Michigan State wins this game by, I'll say, 10. I think they are a far superior team than Seton Hall, especially without Miles Powell on the floor. And I think this is going to be a big opportunity for them to show that, for Michigan State at least, to show that they should be taken seriously in terms of the you know, the upper echelon teams, which I'm still putting them at despite their game one loss. Now, if they lose to Seton Hall, I might put, I'll probably put them with the Kentuckys of they don't belong in that upper echelon. They need to beat Seton Hall tonight. Oh yeah. I, I, this team is going to, this game is going to tell me a lot about two things or about these, both these teams in, in two different ways. One is, is Michigan state good, right? Which we project them to be in. And obviously they should be, is it hold on? Is it going to tell you if they're good or if they're national title good? Because they're good. Well, maybe both. If they lose to if they lose to Seton Hall without Miles. Oh, hey, I don't want to put words in your mouth. My bad. Transitive property would also say that Evanston Evansville is better than Michigan State at this point, right? So well, property would say Evansville is the number one number overall. one team in the country. Yeah, right. Exactly. So <laughs> no, but what it will say though is I think this game will tell me a little more about Seton Hall than it will about Michigan State. Michigan State, I as much as as much as we hate to see them lose these early game situations. We've talked about how Izzo is still a stud, still the man, and can somehow get his team still to play in the tournament, right? If Seton Hall can win this game or even keep it close, then I'm then I'll think of them much more highly because I, I the reason I picked them to do anything was because of Miles Powell. And to be quite frank, I'll speak for myself, but I might even speak for you in a way and to say that we know an amount about the rest of Seton Hall, but we don't know a ton about the rest of Seton Hall, right? But if they can keep a game close against a team like Michigan State, someone who's projected to be Final Four, the unanimous number one team in the country, then that's going to tell me a lot about how things are going to go going forward. As we've talked about before, we don't believe in Kevin Willard at all. And subsequently, we don't really believe in the rest of the supporting cast around Miles Powell at all. If they can keep this game close, so let's take your line of 10. If they lose by five or less, I'm going to be extremely high on Seton Hall from that going forward. Because you know Miles Powell is at least a five-point difference in any game that he plays. Now, that being said, like I said, Michigan State, if they can't pull away from a team that doesn't have a their unanimous 
consensus, however you want to phrase it, All-American on it, that might be give me a little pause, despite the fact that we know that Michigan State teams are slow starters. That might go to what I believe Shark's point was, is that this team didn't necessarily get any better from last year, that they were already peaked out at what they were last year, that teams don't always, as I like to think, they always are going to get better throughout college. Because I, 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 that's just how I, the, the, the school of thought that I subscribe to. I believe Sharks' thought was that teams don't just have to get better because they get older, and some teams do peak at some point. And if Michigan State can't show us uh, a, kind of a dominant or at least a controlling win, then I think Shark would be right in that statement where it's like, maybe this team peaked last year already, at least without Josh Langford. This is one of those scrumptious games, in my opinion, that any sort of result is going to tell you something. Right. So if Michigan State blows them out, I don't think that necessarily will tell you a ton about Seton Hall, but rather that Michigan State is ready and they're they're primed to go on their, you know, get into their groove for the regular season. If Seton Hall blows Michigan State out, then Michigan State, some serious questions. And then you also say, okay, Seton Hall is absolutely for real. If it's a close game that Seton Hall wins, then you're still a little concerned about Michigan State. But if it's a close game that Michigan State wins, I don't necessarily know if I'm ready to get off Michigan State because, again, Seton Hall is a good squad. They're still ranked 14 or in the, within the top 15, but it will tell me more about Seton Hall. So the point that I'm making is that any result that we get will tell us something about at least one of these teams, which is the, the best type of college basketball game. Because, I mean, you look at Evansville versus Kentucky. It doesn't tell us anything about Evansville. It tells us that they got super- – No, who, who cares, right. Exactly. But when you look at these two teams, any sort of result is going to help us better understand what type of team Seton Hall and Michigan State is. There's no loss for Seton Hall here. This game has no pressure for Seton Hall. Yeah, I think it's because of the Miles Powell injury. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, if sure. you win – if you lose without Miles Powell, you're like, well, we didn't have a – at least from a fan standpoint, not not a player standpoint. From a fan standpoint, sure, it, we lost without a consensus All American. Okay, that's not our real team. If you win without him, you're like, yo, we're studs. Like we're we're going all the way this year. Michigan State, I think it's a lot more pressure. Whether that's felt by players or coaches or whatever, or not I, I I don't know. I don't have any way to tell. But there's no pressure on Seton Hall here. Seton Hall loses, and they're like, well, yeah, we just we didn't have our best player. So, yeah, so what does it mean? What does it mean to any, anybody? Yeah, I nothing. So there's only there's only positive steps to gain for Seton Hall. I won't think any lo- less of them, really. Right, As, unless they get blown up by like a million. Right, and I would say like, okay, well, they need yeah. Miles back. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, so I got Michigan State winning by ten. Real quick, who do you have tomorrow tonight? Excuse me. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I it's got to be Michigan State. By I, I would say yeah probably a similar amount to that because if if Cassius Winston can't take advantage of this matchup or lack of matchup that he has then I will maybe slide at least one click to the left or to the right into the Sharks pool ooh Sharks yeah. pool uh, into thinking that maybe this team has peaked already and by already I mean last year I'm still thinking Michigan State wins this game and I I still think that they're gonna when it from a controlled, you know, in a controlling manner. Um, so yeah, I, yeah, I'll go with Michigan state, but like I said, um, or like we both said, if seen Hall keeps it close, then 
we, we're going to have a full discussion, have to have a full discussion about where we think about both of these teams going forward. We are going to start a discussion, Charles Barkley. A, a dialogue. A dialogue. Thank you. Yes. So Sharks pool, that could be a new segment. Some quick hitters now, some quick news and notes. Bryce Thompson, five-star recruit committing to Kansas. He's from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Quick side note, he actually kind of pulled a prank on Bill Self by having his dad text him saying like, oh, he's pretty much going to Oklahoma State. I'm I'm really upset, uh, but it's his decision, blah, blah, blah. Gets on the phone with Bill Self and, you know, he puts on an act and then essentially says, I can't wait to be a Jayhawk. If I was Bill Self, I'd be like, look, you little shit. I'm a Hall of Famer. Like, do not, don't, don't play with me. You know, uh, do, you, do you understand the pressure that I'm under right now from the NCAA? That being said, that's actually segues nicely into my point. I don't really know much about Bryce Thompson. I'm sure he's a very fine player. But this just goes to show you that this whole thing surrounding Bill Self, this whole thing surrounding every coach that's quote-unquote embroiled with this quote-unquote scandal does not mean a thing. Bill Self is still recruiting his ass off. He's still getting top talent. And this just goes to show you how fleeting um, some of the press is when it comes to this. Because when, when news dropped about Bill Self, Twitter was going crazy. They were talking sanctions. They were talking like, oh, what does this mean for Kansas moving forward? And I'm here to tell you it means absolutely nothing. It doesn't have a real impact until something actually happens. There's no point in speculating. It's the same thing with Chase Young. Chase Young got suspended and people were saying, oh, he's out indefinitely. Ohio State's in trouble. He misses Maryland and Rutgers. He's perfectly fine. Just, again, same thing with Sean Miller. I was getting texts that, oh, Sean Miller, death penalty. Like Sean Miller is never going to coach again. Jay Billis was even fucking saying that. Look at where Sean Miller is right now. He's still on the sidelines. Anytime these stories break, and even James Wiseman, honestly, honestly, I'm not that worried for James Wiseman until something actually happens, right? Uh, Anytime these stories break, take a step back. Honestly, it would maybe log off Twitter because it's only (laughs) going to be toxic for you. And in a day or two, things are going to blow over. This Bill Self thing means nothing. Bryce Thompson is committed to Kansas. The show rolls on. That's the only thing I really got from this. Hey, well, don't worry. Uh, Jay Billis wants to talk about basketball now. So he said on College Game Day this last week. Guys, yeah. guys, we j- I'm so tired of talking about this. Let's just talk about basketball. Oh, as if you weren't the conductor of the motherfucking train about talking about this every single week for the last two years uh sean miller will be put on administrative leave or at least should be while this is being sorted out and there's no way that deandre ayton could play in a game while this is being sorted out i mean yeah jay whatever you want dog it's your world we're just we're just living in it whatever you want man um can i segue into another um recruit here by the fact that i didn't realize this until right now and that is Texas Tech just got a their biggest recruit in program history. We've previously brought up Chris Beard and how he's changing the culture of Texas Tech, how he finally got free salsa at his favorite breakfast burrito restaurant, all that type of stuff. So he just got a recruit a combo guard from Chicago, of all places, to go to Lubbock, Texas, in Namari Burnett. And I don't know, Subi, do you have like your computer in front of you right now or anything like that? Yeah. Can you do a side-by-side of Namari Burnett and Bryce Thompson? 
They look like they could be brothers, at least from the pictures that I have here in front of me. They're Let's not. See. They're not. Both white skin. <laughs> yeah, that's correct. But big shout yeah, out. Yeah, they could. They could. Yeah. Big shout out to Chris Beard because if you look at their. Thompson's not white skin. I'm sorry. Okay. Maybe it was the lighting. 24 7, 247 Sports. Pick it up for me with your photo qualities. Anyway, Texas Tech now has two of the three best recruits they've ever got. They've ever received commitments from ever in the history of the program. Namari Burnett is the first five-star recruit to ever go to Texas Tech. And Micah Peavy, who's also coming in next year, um, is ranked just behind a guy that we talked about in the uh, previews in uh, Jameis Ramsey, who is a high, high, high four-star recruit. So another shout-out to Chris Beard, guy building a program there in Texas Tech, and I want to. We have talked about him a lot, and I don't want to. I don't want to belabor this point and stretch this out too long. But Chris Beard just seems like a guy who isn't gonna bail earlier than is necessary. Am I wrong in thinking that? Maybe, but here, here's my thing. When I'm when I'm thinking of a guy like. Chris Beard and bailing early. I think of Shaka Smart and VCU took them to a final four. But the thing is VCU isn't in a power conference, whereas Texas tech is in the big 12 and he's already shown that he can recruit a five-star from Chicago. I don't, I don't know if Shaka ever did that at VCU. So my point would be is, I mean, there's definitely better coaching positions, but why not be a legend in Lubbock when you consistently, he's shown go to the Elite Eight, to the Final Four, to the national title game. I think he can win a championship in, in Lubbock. And if well, you're clear, able to do that, clear, point? Clearly. Yeah, right, right. That's, well, I that's, kinda, that's what I would say. I had a long time on the road today to have thoughts about this. And one of the thoughts that I had, not it wasn't specific to Chris Beard, but I had a lot of thoughts about P.J. Fleck at Minnesota in that same manner. Minnesota – not a great football school, but a good football school now hoisted into the national championship picture, similar almost in the type of rise that Texas tech had last year. And you think to yourself, well, okay. So PJ Fleck could be hired away by other schools, but that's a big enough school to hang around at with enough of a fan base and enough boosters to make it worth their while. And I think kind of the same thing about Chris Beard where Texas Tech has sneaky money when it comes to athletics. They got the oil money in a way, not quite as much as the other schools in the in the conference or in, in Texas at least, but if Chris Beard goes to another Final Four or continues this stretch, what better job from a lifestyle standpoint is he going to get? You know, uh, think yeah, of, that's what right. It's like, like Lawrence, Kansas is the dopest right. place in the world to live, right? You know, Duke's not hiring a non-Duke person. North Carolina, maybe, but he doesn't play the style that North Carolina wants at all. Arizona, maybe, but Sean Miller is going to be there at least now for the extended future because as, as, they've stuck with him at this point. So they, there has to be that. So you just kind of look and think, okay, so what are the really great basketball schools that might hire a guy like Chris Beard away? And you think, well, if he continues to pull these type of recruits, why would he go anywhere? Right. I don't think, I don't think he should. So good for good for Chris Beard. He's 
not embroiled in any NCAA violations like some other coaches, but who knows, maybe, maybe he will be next year. <laughs> we'll see. But uh, last couple of news and notes, St. Mary's lost to Winthrop. Like we said at the top of this program, they probably should have two losses. They went to overtime against Wisconsin. They're having trouble with those W teams, Taylor. <laughs> Them and Utah State, two mid-majors who were preseason ranked top 25, in my opinion, not really earning their keep. So St. Mary's needs, needs to pick it up if they want to be taken seriously. And then right before we get to hugs, John Rothstein, baby. Mm. You, if, you, if you follow him on Instagram, great. Next thing you need to do, though, is put sound on. <laughs> Every single one of his instas, not just the ones that he's talking, right? But the ones where he just has a still image. Because what I found out when I put sound on Rothstein, I think every single day has his games to watch. And the great part is that he had tr- crazy train playing to get you fired off. I mean, it's just a list of these random games. And then when I hit the when I hit the image itself to hear the music, it goes. On the board. It's just absurd. So just another wrinkle in the John Rothstein legacy. This is wild. I actually did. I, as someone who is a, is a stark follower of Rothstein, I didn't realize that the still images, I clearly scroll too much and then don't actually hit anything. Like Instagram stories, I don't think I've listened to an, any audio of an Instagram story in three years. Right. I'm not even sorry, though. That's the thing. It's like an actual post. No, that right, right, right. So I'm just saying that I'm very non-audio when it comes to yeah. Instagram stuff, and so that's why I didn't even realize there was background music to this. This is, this is a game. We should have started the program with this, honestly, because True. this is a big changing moment. I think in my life and how I view uh, Instagram posts. Because Ross, if Rossine's doing it, then I'm in. I'm into it. Yeah, fuck Evansville versus Kentucky. Rothstein going crazy train with his games to watch is a lot better. (laughs) You're right. You're right. Let's round it out with some hugs before we do that. A message from our guy, Zach, at the Barnburner Podcast Network. All right, Taylor, let's finish up here. Hugs, who you got? So I like to try and keep my hugs topical to what's going on in college basketball or the world, I guess, with my Edmund Fitzgerald one last week. I'm going completely off. I'm going completely off that track this week and it's going to be a recent hug one that only would have come about in my life about an hour and 45 minutes ago and that is a hug to whoever the guy was downstairs here at the westgate sportsbook who was in a robe and slippers at the sportsbook on a wednesday night that guy is who we should all as college basketball and sports degenerates as a whole should aspire to be at 45 years old is the guy with the Westgate logo branded slippers and robe here at the sportsbook. We need to make it out to Vegas for the Pac-12 tournament, man. I've been, I, it's, it's been a couple of times. It's, it's incredible. They have a room here, and I haven't spent a lot of time at Westgate Sportsbooks. Westgate, well, it's a super book, as they call it here. Mm-hmm. They have a really cool room that you can rent off with your boys that has like 16 TVs. Uh, it's called the Clubhouse. And I had I had noticed that one couple of times that we're over here that I've been over here before would be a great bachelor party would be a great tournament experience clubhouse at um, at Westgate especially if we were all wearing ropes and slippers. Good for that guy. My- because hold on, I'm going to I'm going to interrupt him because as we may have heard 
at the beginning of this program in the intro. Subi, the slipper still still fits. That's thank you. Now you may go. Now you may go. Go ahead. No, that's my fault. Didn't mean to jump the gun there. I I, I'm glad you interrupted me for a gus call. It's it's worth it. So my is is for Nick Daschle of the Oregonian and Oregon Live. So I was thinking about going with Dave Gavitt, the godfather of the Big East, who, by the way, I don't think gets enough credit for being such a titan in the college basketball world. If you ask a casual if they know who Dick Vitale is versus Dave Gavitt, they'd probably tell you who Dick Vitale is, which is a crying shame because Dave Gavitt was a legend in the college game. But Nick Daschle gets my hug, and it's going to be a facetious hug. Because recently he printed a list of, I think, top 25 high school players in Oregon in history, right? Top 25 high school basketball players in Oregon's history. You got the likes of Damon Stoudemire. You got Kevin Love. You got uh, Kyle Singler. There were some others. I think Fred Jones. A lot of big-time names at Oregon. Luke Jackson that you've heard of. You know who he omitted and this is going to make this is going to make me upset because a couple of weeks ago when we did the Pac-12 preview, I went on a tangent about one Salim Stoudemire. Salim Stoudemire apparently wasn't good enough for this list, but Peyton Pritchard was. Yes. Oh no, 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 yeah, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Peyton Peyton Pritchard is on this list, but Salim goddamn Stoudemire is not. Peyton Pritchard, who has bigger eyebrows than me, and I'm Indian. I have caterpillars on this thing. Peyton Pritchard, who I think had 10 points last night. Peyton Pritchard, who is 35 years old and still playing college basketball over Salim goddamn Stoudemire. The disrespect. So Nick Daschle, I'm going to give you a hug because you so clearly need it. That's awful. Sick to my stomach, dude. That is – Peyton Pritchard also had six turnovers last game. Let me just point that out. Six Um, there's nobody on this list, um, at least in the top. Uh, I haven't heard of that guy. Haven't heard of that guy. Haven't heard of that guy. I haven't heard of any of these people. Kyle Wilcher. Kyle Wilcher. Yeah, I mean he's 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 worthwhile. Wait, where does where is Peyton Pritchard on this list? I think he was eight. That's eight. fucking ridiculous. Peyton Pritchard. And like I, I know it's probably strictly high school. Not really taking into it, but still, Salim Stoudemire not being on that list is insanity. If it were only taking high school, why am I seeing college highlights put in? I don't know. Ask your boy. Yeah, Ask no, that's boy. that's uh, that's rough. That's rough. Yeah, it's terrible. And the fact that Peyton Pritchard is literally the um, he's the first two headline pictures of the article. What a shame. So I hate to I hate to end the program on such a sour note. So I will say, theater goers, you're in good hands with the shark and Taylor. I'm going to be in the Grand Canyon, finding myself, excommunicating myself from the world, camping. Probably going to hate my life come the hike back up, but I'm looking forward to it. Taylor, as always, it's been a pleasure. We'll see you next time here on Theater and College Hoops. <laughs>